Welcome in, everyone, and thank you for listening to the 21st ever episode of the Missouri Sports Podcast, brought to you by 106 Apparel and recording from the Revel Advertising Studio in beautiful Springfield, Missouri. I'm one of your hosts, Cameron Albert, alongside my good friend and fellow Mizzou fan, Kyle DeVries. How are you doing today, Kyle? I know this might surprise you a little bit, but I'm doing great. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm doing very well myself. I would not expect anything less than great from you. If you're ever having a bad day, though, you can just tell us. You don't have to say you're great. You can just you just tell us what's going on. We'll help you through it. Well, so far, uh, all 21 episodes every day that we've done it, I've just been great. So <laughs> that's, I have nothing else to report at this point. That's good to hear. All right. Well, we have a nice show today. We're going to go over quite a bit of news, recap the football season, put a nice bow on it, like we said, and uh, recap a nice Mizzou basketball blowout. So first, we'll jump into some news and start off with bad news. Running back commit Glover Cook has decommitted from Missouri. Yes, he has, and I'm not sure I would even necessarily deem this bad news at this point because I think we knew this might happen uh, he was very um, f- was not for sure about his commitment from even from the day he he submitted his commitment a few months ago or whenever that was before the season yeah um, same thing as the guy that decommitted maybe like a month ago and uh, Joku the mm-hmm. wide receiver tight end both of those guys I think we all knew that we might lose them at some point uh, and Glover, Glover Cook's going to move on. Uh, it's very possible he took a look at how stacked the running room, running back room is for Mizzou and said, I'm out of here. So do you think he's moving on to bigger and better things? or I don't know. I think Louisville maybe it might be a place he could land. I saw that in his uh, Twitter mentions. Yeah. Um, he didn't have a great senior year. Um, I think he was injured a little bit, and I don't, I'm don't. i not really sure that he impressed too many people. I don't think he's going to go to a program that's a lot better than Mizzou or anything like that. Gotcha. So, And I, I personally like our other running back commit, Anthony Watkins, a lot more anyway. So, And I think the staff d- does as well. Cool. Um, next up, Jamie Petway is uh, a player who is announcing his college choice on December 19th, who holds a Mizzou offer. I think he was down to a top four. Um, so that's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Uh, linebacker from Georgia, I believe. Um, I think we are currently in the lead for Jamie Petway. I, I hope we land him. I think he's a really talented guy, maybe a little bit under-recruited. Um, so yeah, that would that would be a really nice pickup for uh, for Odom and crew for sure. I can't remember off the top of my head uh, the rest of his top four, but it's been kind of a trend lately that when you see these lists get trimmed down and you're like, well, Missouri seems like the best landing spot out of these options that you're right. presenting as your top four or five or however many. Mm-hmm. I remember Georgia Tech was on there and a few other schools, and mm-hmm. I just looking at the little list, I thought, well, why would you not choose Missouri over these teams? Yeah, if... Uh, sometimes those top lists are, can be a little bit misleading based on, you know, sometimes people will include schools that they don't even really have an offer from. But I really do think Mizzou's interest in Petway is genuine. And I think that if they truly want him, then they should be able to get him. Uh, Missouri sent out an offer to an eighth grader recently. His name is Jalen McKenzie from Belleville, Illinois. And apparently... I, I'm getting my tweets mixed up now. I think, was he the one that tweeted that this is his first offer? I think so. In general? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, recruiting is a ridiculous 
endeavor these days and you got to be ahead of the curve and it's it's valuable to a lot of recruits to uh to um they honor that that school that gives them the first yeah the first offer the first school that believed in me and uh, a lot of times that's the first thing that gets the domino started is is when one school jumps in the other schools say okay who is this guy right. we'll take a look as well i think this kid's gonna have a lot of schools believing in him though yeah i think you're exactly <laughs> right so so i think missouri wanted to be uh to be able to say we're the first ones who believed in you here like 25 years ago when you were in eighth grade <laughs> All right, now some real bad news. Um, Missouri player Trey Williams has, uh, as of a few minutes ago, um, been formally charged, according to ESPN, um, with, I think, domestic, some sort of domestic violence mm-hmm. um, crime. So uh, over the last couple of days, we heard about an arrest and then maybe charges not being filed, but now he's officially been charged. So it is pretty much a certainty now that we will not see him play for Missouri again. Um, Barry Odom has made it pretty clear. Uh, I can't remember when exactly it was, but Keon Delosa was another guy who was caught up in a similar situation. He was very quickly dismissed from the team, and Barry Odom at that time basically just said, this is being dismissed is the automatic punishment for a domestic violence issue. Yeah, definitely an ugly situation that we don't know all the details of, so I don't want to jump to any conclusions but at this point it looks like it was uh certainly uh, some kind of domestic issue and i think it's uh probably a good thing that barry odom is saying uh see you later we're not going to mess around with this kind of behavior and um probably rightfully so and another uh, a player that left his former team uh jeff thomas there's been reports lately that he is likely to end up at Mizzou. So it's still early. There was a similar report saying he is likely to end up at Illinois. So obviously those are conflicting reports that were just as confident, I would say. So um, nobody really knows for sure yet, but things seem to be looking good for maybe his his uh, joining Mizzou. Yeah, a lot of barriers to clear on this one first. He's got to get a waiver to be able to play immediately. Uh, but if that does happen, then there's probably a pretty good chance that he's going to be at Mizzou. Um, I think this probably is maybe part of the Kelly Bryant effect. Um, I'm not sure if Jeff Thomas would be interested in coming here if we didn't have a for sure quarterback at the helm. Uh, I could be completely wrong about that. It's just a, this is me spitballing. But um, he's, he's from East St. Louis, so I really think he either ends up at Mizzou or Illinois at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, and obviously Mizzou, at least football-wise, looks like the more appealing choice at the moment if he can get the waiver. Right. All right. Uh, switching gears real quick to talk about basketball. Um, big basketball recruit from St. Louis, Vashon, is Cam Fletcher. And he continues to draw attention from Blue, Bro- Blue Blood programs, namely Michigan State. And uh, Tom Izzo was out to see him lately in person, and that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly getting the warm fuzzies on Cam Fletcher or uh, Caleb Love um, for 2020. Uh, both really, really talented guys, and that that's the that's the problem with um, having a coach like Conzo Martin that's that that is expected to get these top in-state recruits is because you're going to have to beat out the big boys. Right. Um, like Tom Izzo in Michigan state and you know, all the other guys that are on Caleb love. So, um, it's going to be a battle. And I, I think Mizzou has a shot at both of these guys. I, I read an interview maybe a couple of weeks ago 
you know, Caleb Love was talking about how much he respects the in-state school and he loves Counting Martin and he's really the only coach he has a relationship with outside of basketball. They talk about personal mm. things and I think Caleb Love is a, is a sharp kid with a good head on his shoulders and, and realizes maybe this how special it might be to stay home and play for the in-state school, but it's also hard to turn away offers from some of these huge prestigious programs that yeah. he's involved with right now. Yeah, and with Fletcher, it's always nice to have uh, Mario McKinney in our back pocket just maybe as an extra incentive to lure him to Columbia. Yeah, definitely can't hurt. But we've known, we've said, every time we talk about these guys, we talk about how much of a struggle it will be and a challenge that Martin is, he's all for the challenge of trying to go after these guys. Um, Of course, you got Josh Christopher in the 2020 class as well. And I think we're just not going to know anything for a really long time on these guys. It's it's good to kind of see where things are. Um, They're going to keep moving up in the rankings, I think, um, because their play is that impressive and they honestly haven't they're just starting to break out i think um but you're going to see a lot of these offers come in and it's going to come down to the wire on all of them i think but i do think missouri is in it till the final commitment on all three of those guys Mm -hmm. it certainly would be cool and obviously this is a long time down the road uh it would be cool to see josh christopher I, i actually feel the best about him of the three just even though he's the highest ranked um, just because of his connection and just the way his recruitment has gone so far. But uh, if he were to jump on board early, that might be an extra incentive to those other two guys to maybe want to play with a, you know, a five-star, potentially one-and-done one player. Yeah, and I think if you are kind of looking at the way the roster is forming for the next two or three years, um, you're going to have Drew Smith at point guard for two seasons with Xavier Pence in there as well. And with how much play Pinson has been getting as a freshman, you got to think they're the wing positions, wing scorers are going to be what they go after the hardest. Not that they wouldn't want Caleb Love, but and he is a good enough scorer off the ball. I think that he wouldn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time. But getting those two, if they were to get um, Fletcher and Josh Christopher, that would be just insane because. They, they won't really point guard won't necessarily be a position of need for them but wing scorers will always be a position of need for every team ever so mm-hmm. yeah yeah definitely good guard plays uh and and good wing scorers are are very valuable um and speaking of just the st louis schools have you seen any of mario mckinney's uh highlights from some of the past yeah. few games yeah he yeah he his highlights and cam fletcher's highlights yeah. have been really impressive lately yeah there i think a ball is life uh cameraman lives in their gym i think so because they always have videos of them going up yeah Vashon is uh would be a really fun team to watch and i think chaminade and cbc played each other a few nights ago so that was uh caleb love going up against uh like kazabuki and maybe is how oh, you yeah. say his last mm-hmm. name i don't know but yeah. a pretty big uh inner city battle there yeah when you've got a lot of high profile recruits in the st louis area they're going to be playing each other a lot and i don't know just it'd be if if you live in st louis and you're listening to this you got to catch some of these games because yeah they've got to be fun to watch um we get a little taste of that kind of competition every year with the tournament of champions and I, I now I wish belleville um west which is ej liddell's school is going to be in it here in springfield and knowing everything now, I probably even, well, if EJ Liddell had picked Missouri, I would not want to trade that 
spot in the tournament of cha- champions for anybody else. But I really wish Vashon was in it now mm-hmm. because having two guys, uh, Mario McKinney and Cam Fletcher, that would just be huge. One of them going to Mizzou, that would be a lot of local support for that team for sure. Right. Yeah. Obviously, the tournament of champions is tremendous uh, countrywide talents uh, going against each other. But there's really just something that you can't explain about an inner city rival rivalry like you know Vashon and, and Chaminade and yeah. CBC some of those schools wanting to fight for uh, bragging rights in their city is right. is pretty uh, exciting stuff um, and big announcement came through uh, the Mizzou athletic office uh, lately um, Missouri announced a new esports team which is their first foray into esports. They're actually the first team in the or first school in the SEC to put put together an e- esports program, and only the second Power Five school. Um, the only other one is Ohio State. Which when I heard that, I was kind of surprised that there's only two now Power Five programs right. that have esports teams. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. It's going to be uh, probably a trend that becomes pretty normalized uh, in the next you know five to ten years, and so it'll be cool that. Uh, Mizzou is one of the first ones to jump on the on the bandwagon, and obviously a pretty big market for a lot. You know, money's going to be pretty good in this uh, in this arena. So, right, a lot yeah, of money to be had. This uh, announcement will probably get made fun of plenty on social media, but um, Missouri's doing the smart thing here. Even if video games or or whatever is not your scene, uh, Missouri getting out in front of this and getting that good publicity this is a long-term investment that they're making that'll pay off i think absolutely and then the last bit of news that i have is not really mizzou related it's just a sec headline that i saw on sb nation that caught my eye it uh, reads as follows auburn burned freshman running back aza martin's red shirt because it did not realize how many games he'd played now he's transferring <laughs> so Whose fault is this? Is this the player's fault? I mean, surely it's some some coach's job to keep track of this or some analyst or something. But yeah. the the player has got to realize, or at least you know, make known. Hey, I've played four games here. Uh, you sh- maybe you should be aware that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if I I'm know. a player, I guess I just it you're going to go into the game if right. if your number's called. Right, and and he may not even th- be thinking about. I don't know how the inner workings of that happen. Like, does the player and coach sit down before the season and go, hey, we're probably going to redshirt you. We're probably only going to put you into four games. That conversation but, probably should happen. Yeah, but if if the conversation is, but if we think we need you in more, we'll play you in more. And then, so if he does get his number called, he just thinks, oh, they need me in more games. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're it's, right. But <laughs> So why, 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 is he, why does that mean that he needs to transfer? Well, obviously... They, I don't just know. Just because he thinks they mishandled the situation? Apparently. I, I honestly didn't read the uh, the whole article. That's really I, I funny, though. That well, that's not for him. But uh, yeah, I mean. I just don't know how that happens. Yeah, somebody really messed up there to, for that to happen. Or or maybe there was just a really big communi- miscommunication. Right. Like maybe he thought that he was only going to play four games and still retain his eligibility, and the coaching staff never really made that a priority. But... Either way, um, that I'm glad that is something that Missouri's not having to deal with. <laughs> yeah. It definitely seems like Mizzou <clears throat> burned more red shirts than maybe I expected uh, this year, but I don't think that any of them were on accident. Yeah, uh, producer Cameron and I were actually talking about red shirts off-air uh, the other day and how 
it seems like fans probably prioritize players' eligibility more than the staffs actually do. Right. Because we're thinking, we were talking about it specifically with quarterbacks and like um, the uh, quarterback commit that uh, will be will be coming in and probably be the heir apparent to uh, Kelly Bryant. Connor Bazelak. Yeah. So I, I wonder. I hope I'm saying that right. <laughs> I think so. Uh, we were talking about like, will he be the number two behind Kelly Bryant? And if so, would they risk burning his red shirt by making him the full backup or let him red shirt a year, play the third stringer as your backup mm-hmm. in blowouts and right. then him have all four years. And I was kind of saying, it seems like coaches don't really care about that. If you're the best, second best quarterback, you're going to get all the number two quarterback reps, even if it's four games and one snap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Coaches don't care because um, they're trying to win now. Yeah. And as fans, I know that I'm going to be here four, five years from now as a right. fan. The coaching staff doesn't know if they're going to be here four or five years from now. They're trying to keep their jobs and win their jobs now. Mm-hmm. So that's it is an interesting concept. I, I think that it irks me when I see a player burn a red shirt because they played in six games as a special teamer. Right. Uh, but, I mean, if they're helping the team, then the co- that's going to be good enough for the coaches. So right. I, we've seen this year that special teams can kill you uh, if you don't have Yeah, uh, so I'm all good for players. the coaching staff putting the best players in those special team spots regardless of red yep. shirts Even or anything else. Even if it means else, they got to burn the shirt, then, yeah. I mean, at least they helped us. Yeah. All right. Any other news you think? I probably missed something that this this time of year is kind of yeah there's a lot going on um i think you covered it though okay cool um we'll stick with football here though and um we're going to recap this past football season so it kind of took some time to let everything sort of simmer and um after the last official regular season game um, we know who they're playing in the bowl and we just want to kind of give our final thoughts on the uh, 2018 season, Missouri finished eight and four, four and four in conference, and finished the season ranked 23rd in the college football playoff. Just uh, off the top, what are sort of your overall thoughts? Uh, yeah, obviously um, a lot of takeaways from this season, and um, I I think coming into this season we thought this was going to be a make or break year for Barry Odom with all the weapons that he had at his disposal. Uh, if we had another mediocre season that started off really slowly, could this be his last year? Um, so, and I think that he proved that he's worthy of, of being here and, you know, he got to raise an extension. Uh, I still think that there were moments in the season where we wondered, is he going to be here long term? Uh, but I think he did enough at the end of the year to, uh, to make himself worthy of, of a raise and extension. Um, we didn't have really the opportunity to start off as slowly as we did last year because we started off the year with a couple of easy wins and, um, but the Purdue game I thought was huge. Um, just winning a close game on the road. Uh, we knew it was big at the time, but I think that that game was even bigger than maybe we really realized because, you know, Purdue went, it went on to be a pretty good team. And um, Yeah, I think, I mean, if you're looking for a recipe for a slow start, that's it. I mean, losing that Purdue game yeah, and then that turning into a four-game losing streak. Yeah. I don't know if they can, they can bounce back. That's, I mean, yeah. I mean, Drew Locke had a quote uh, halfway through the season saying that, you know, their three and three start, he'd much rather be there than one and five like they were the the season before, which is definitely true. But when you looked at 
the close the close game against South Carolina and the would be close game against Georgia is still left a little bit to be desired. But going back to Barry Odom and sort of the overall season, I think he did what he had to do. Um, I don't think he fell short of any expectations for this season. Mm-hmm. He didn't exceed them either. I think we were probably some of the most optimistic people looking at the season in the before it started. Picking a nine and three regular season, I think, was pretty optimistic. I think we even then were saying that realistically, that's probably ten and two would have been a spectacular season blowing away everybody's expectations. Nine wins was going to be um, going above most people's expectations. So I think eight and four and 500 in SEC play is about what anybody would have expected if you were thinking about the most realistic scenario. Mm-hmm. I think we saw some pretty high moments from Barry Odom, and I think we saw some lows as well with just strictly his coaching performance. And obviously some lows coming from the South Carolina game and uh, I'm not sure that the Georgia game you could tie into that, but Kentucky, uh, Kentucky would, definitely. Yeah. Kentucky and South Carolina being the two lows definitely that of of Codem's, uh, Codem's of Odom's <laughs> coach co- coaching uh, moves and decisions. But I think we saw some some high moments as well. You know, with Florida and pulling out a close one against Vanderbilt, and so um, and just getting getting his players ready after a devastating loss against Kentucky, having a huge bounce bounce back game against Florida. Yeah, I don't know what it is about Barry Odom and his players. You know, getting him to getting them to perform well at the end of the year. Uh, but he certainly knows how to do that. So the next step is getting his players ready at the beginning of of the season. And that's another thing that kind of worries me uh, about the bowl game is because any time Barry Odom is given any amount of time to prepare, we lose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're not good at the beginning of seasons. We're not good off of, off of buys. Last year we weren't good between the regular season and the bowl game. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the next step that I want to see Barry Odom take is – when you're given more time to prepare, you should be doing the opposite of what you're doing. Right. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, this season, I think when we look back on it, it'll be remembered for these incredibly co- close games against Purdue, uh, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Vanderbilt. And Missouri was able to actually pull out a 500 record in these one-possession games, and that's that's pretty good. I mean, yeah. As easy they are as you literally could, coin flip games, yeah. and they went 50-50. So you could easily say, if you're opportunistic, they could be ten and two, right? But they could also be six and six, right? If uh, Vandy and Purdue go the wrong way, right? And it's always frustrating with South Carolina and Kentucky in particular that it's just Mizzou fans, I think, and I and I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. I'm looking at those little moments where they just had lapses and you know you drop a ball or you give up a punt return touchdown things like that where you're like wow just this one moment getting that right twice and the team's 10 and 2 but you never think about the other side of the coin exactly if what if the Vanderbilt player had caught the ball in the end zone and we right. lose exactly what if that play doesn't get overturned overturned at Purdue right. where i think it's you know uh, Adam Sparks brother Yep. What, what if the, they just decide that that's good enough for a catch? Yep. I think we might lose that game. Right. And uh, But, yeah, and then, of course, the Georgia play, that might stand out to me even the most, is what if uh, 
they decide that the player dropped the ball before the goal line. You know, there, there was so that one's crazy. Many. That Georgia one's crazy because yeah. not only could they have said he dropped the ball, they could have said Missouri picked it up and took it for a touchdown. Yeah, it could have been like a 14-point swing. Yeah. And who knows where that game ends if, if that actually happens. Because Georgia also had the uh, phantom missed field goal that oh, sure yeah. looked like it went in. Or was that Georgia or South Carolina? Uh, I don't know. One of those shoot, games, I, I know remember. exactly. Yeah. It looked like it clearly missed. It was like, oh, okay. I just kind of like moved on because I trusted the refs. But yeah. in seeing replays, I was like, I don't know that I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. That, and that's probably the story of a lot of football seasons for a lot of different teams is there's all these games come down to a very small amount of really important plays. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think this, this season could be looked at as the season of what-ifs. What yeah. if we're 10-2 and two right now with wins over, uh, you know, Florida and uh, some of these top teams? And, you know, what if we beat Georgia, yeah. you know? And it's kind of heartbreaking to think about some of those things. But I think that it's also – I think I'm satisfied with, with where we ended up at mm-hmm. an 8-4 and four season. I think we still did a, good, a, lot, did a, a lot of good things. Yeah, I think um, – there's you, you saw a progression in the offense. They didn't put up as big a numbers, but they looked way more efficient. They closed out games better. Um, they just looked better against top, you know, better competition. Um, they still didn't look very good against Kentucky, but Kentucky has a really good defense. Same with Alabama. Um, the Florida game really jumps out to me as a game where the offense just decided we're we're not going to care about who is who our opponent is or where we're playing. We're just going to go out and ex- execute, and they did that as well in the Florida game as any other game. Yeah. Yeah, d- definitely you could tell that at the end of the season, they've been playing better football than they have in a really long time, maybe since the 2013, 2014 you know, yeah. season. So, uh, yeah, just the, the win at Florida and dominating Tennessee that's really ended up being a, a fairly decent team putting away Arkansas, making them look like they're playing a high school team. That yeah. That's what we wanted to see Drew Locke do and, and the rest of the offense this year. And um, I think the defense really came around too. So and this schedule ended up being a lot more difficult than I think we maybe thought before the season. Like I said, Tennessee ended up being better. And I think Florida, at least for me personally, was better than I thought they were going to be. And uh, even Vanderbilt was was pretty decent. They made a bowl game this year. So mm-hmm. uh, And obviously the death – stretch of games you know with right with georgia south carolina alabama this schedule ends up being you know top five top ten strength of schedule when we're looking at this game or this schedule a year ago it i think we thought this schedule would set up easier than last year uh than the 2017 season but i think we were definitely wrong about that i think next year's (laughs) we may have said this we may have been saying these same things last year but Next year's schedule, there's no way it's as good of strength of schedule as this season because, like we've said, you switch Alabama with Ole Miss, who I think finished second to last in the West last year. Just the fact you're not playing Alabama. Exactly. There's pretty much every team you know you have a chance at, except there's just not really any shot when you're playing at Alabama. Exactly. Um, Drew Locke, obviously we knew he was going to have a worse season from a statistical standpoint this season, but he finished with – 3,100 yards on 63% passing, which I was really happy to see that uh, completion percentage a little bit higher, and 25 touchdowns on just eight interceptions, and then also had six rushing touchdowns. He was kind of a red zone threat, goal line threat with the 
read option that kind of came out of nowhere. But I, looking back on it, I remember many times them running a zone read. I have air quotes because Drew Locke keeping it was never really an option. He was going to hand it off every single time they ran that play. And this season, he kept it a ton, and it was really effective, and he got in the end zone a lot. Yeah, it added another dimension to this offense. And uh, we, we knew that the offense was not going to be as prolific statistically as they were last year because why? You know, because we didn't necessarily correlate to wins, and it kept our right. defense on the field way too long, all of these things. So I think the offense, at least – you know, the second half of the season really started to shape up in a way that we hoped that it would. And Derek Dooley, I was really pleasantly surprised with him and, and the wrinkles that he, he brought to the offense. And it just looked like Mizzou's offense knew how to win football games. And I'm not sure I would have said that last year. They were just trying to right. score as many points as humanly possible, like a video game. And uh, it, it looked like Drew Locke um, really had developed his mental aspect of the game and uh really did a good job you know looking at you know scanning his options and and looking off the safety and um just reading the defense in a way that maybe he has never done before yeah he was able to anticipate better i think he was able to see uh before the snap kind of what the defense was trying to do Mm -hmm. in some situations and counter it effectively um and they leaned on the running game. I mean, yeah. Larry Roundtree, Demario Crockett, and Tyler Beatty were terrific. Right. Like having those three guys back there, plus an, a spectacular offensive line all season, that was, I mean, for Derek Dooley coming into a new offensive coordinator position, it knowing that the previous offensive coordinator accepted a head coaching job somewhere means, and a lot of those same players are coming back, that's that's good. Like that's the kind of offensive coordinator job you want to step into, but I don't think you could ever imagine a better situation with, as far as returning linemen, returning running backs, returning quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of weapons came back. And another thing I wanted to add on Drew Locke's development is that I thought he really improved his intermediate game. Uh, obviously, we know he can chuck the long ball as, mm-hmm. bad, as good as anyone. But I think one thing he struggled with in his first, you know, two or three seasons was just hitting a tight end for, you know, eight yards up the middle or, or you know, he just would seems like he would always just throw one kind of pass, like, right. like a bullet. Yeah. And I think that he learned how to kind of put some touch on the ball, make those those passes a little more catchable for, yep. you know, for Jonathan Johnson and, and Alberto who ran a lot of those, you know, shorter intermediate routes mm-hmm. to complete a third and four or whatever, you know, and I didn't have a lot of faith in, in the, him, him to complete those short passes, you know, before this season. Or if you, if he was completing them, he was, they were barely completions and they were not, I mean, you see, there's a huge difference when you throw a pass and a, a receiver is able to catch it with their momentum going, the direction they're supposed to go you know they're catching it the ball right in front of their chest it's not outside of their framework of their body um, it just makes it so much easier to get those first downs mm-hmm. get chunk plays when or to break a tackle instead of yeah if you're not worried so much about catching a kind yeah. of difficult ball yeah all the, the receivers are having to make like remarkable plays just to right. convert the first down and now like you said they're not only are they able to make the catch, but they're able to make a play after that because yeah. Drew Locke's putting them in the position to make an easier catch. Yeah, and that's not something you really... It's very easy to overlook something like that because it's just expected, but we hadn't seen that uh, 
a lot of Drew Locke's career, and that was something that he really shored up, a deficiency that he shored up in his senior season that I was really happy to see. It's going to be interesting to see how this offense moves forward in the future. Uh, I kind of thought about something interesting, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure, you know, with the exception of garbage time at the end of some games over the last four seasons, uh, once Drew Locke took the helm in the South Carolina game his freshman year, he started every single game since. So it is going to be really interesting to see, to watch Mizzou and not see Drew Locke. And, it it uh, kind of flew by. I mean, in my it opinion, did. it really did. The Drew Locke era at Missouri seems like it came and went like that. Yeah, and there were some serious ups and downs in that time, and it's good to see that probably the best of times he's had is is on the way out. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think he's put himself in a in a good spot uh, for the for his future in the NFL draft. I think he's almost certainly a first round pick, unless just something catastrophic happens. Um, he's, do, you, do you think he'll be the first quarterback taken? I don't know. Um, it probably depends on if uh, the Oregon quarterback is is going to stay or leave. Um, I think he's a really good, talented guy. I th- would like to think Drew Locke is going to be the first guy off the board. Um, I've heard a lot of mixed opinions about it, but he's got a lot of opportunities to to um, increase his his draft stock because he's gonna play in his bowl game. And I I will add, I love that about the Mizzou seniors, how mm-hmm. Terry Beckner and Drew Locke and Emmanuel Hall just it didn't even seem like there was much of a question. Those guys no. are gonna play in the bowl game because yeah. they truly love where they're at and they yeah. love this team. But that was kind of a sidebar. But um, well. Just to elaborate on that a little bit, I think that is, I love seeing that because it sets an example for the younger players that Mm -hmm. like, these are some of the best teammates as far as talent-wise that I'll ever play with, and they're wanting to play their last opportunity in a Mizzou uniform. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it really is true that it speaks volumes about the kind of teammates that they are, but um yeah, it, uh, Drew Locke's got a lot of opportunities. He's going to play in the bowl game. He's going to play in the senior bowl. He's going to do all the combine stuff. So, mm-hmm. And I think he's a super athletic, talented guy that is in those combine-type situations is going to impress. So um, I think there's a very good chance that he's a top-10 pick and he's the first QB off the board. And we know how crazy NFL teams are about getting the quarterback because it's such a important yeah. position. There's a lot of teams out there that need a program-changing kind of quarterback right now. So Yeah, I've seen um, multiple times this NFL season, or during the college season, they would show Drew Locke's record as a starter against top 25 teams, and they would compare that to Patrick Mahomes' college record against top 25 teams and Jared Goff. Jared Goff's. And two of the best NFL quarterbacks right now. I want to say them, them, those two combined had zero wins yeah, against right. top 25. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it, it a lot of times matters who you've got around you. Yeah. And as an uh, tr- aspiring, level headed Mizzou fan, I like to think that Drew Locke doesn't have the kind of talent around him that a lot of these quarterbacks do. So, right. Um, I think when you're looking at the running game, Larry Roundtree kind of broke out and surprised me in that he sort of down the stretch. I know Crockett had a few injuries throughout the season. It seems like he always sort of does, but um, Roundtree kind of took over as the main back in a lot of these big wins. And like you said, with recruiting running backs and stuff, that that competition that they're going to have for the next for the foreseeable future, I guess, because they just keep bringing in guys that look like they're ready to contribute day one. I mean, all three of these guys did as freshmen, and now 
you know, Bakari coming back as another guy that's going to try to contribute. It just doesn't look like it'll ever stop. I mean, <laughs> knock on wood, with if the offensive line, if they keep recruiting offensive linemen like they are, I, I feel like the running game is in uh, going to be special for many years to come. Yeah, it's it's really exciting to think about how much talent we've got coming up uh, in the running back room and uh, in some good offensive line talent too. And the the quarterback position, at least in the NFL, it seems like is the most difficult to find an elite player. You know, at that position, it's it's fair. I wouldn't say easy, but it's easier to find a serviceable running back probably than it is a quarterback. So, uh, but it's. I don't. I definitely am not complaining that we've got four, and you know, when Watkins comes next year, potentially five capable running backs. You know, yeah. so yeah, it is really exciting, and I think all of those running backs bring something a little different. And uh, if one goes down, like we saw with Crockett getting hurt at the end of the year, it didn't really seem like they missed a beat. I'm ready for him to play against Arkansas next year. <laughs> I know. I hope he gets to. Um, the receivers, well, obviously, they're going to lose Emmanuel Hall. He um, was injured for a few games but still put together a pretty nice season 35 catches for over 750 yards and six touchdowns um that'll we've mentioned this several times that that'll be another big what if for the season what if he was healthy throughout um but i think i just can't believe that it's sort of a big picture comment on missouri since they've joined the sec there were a lot of fans and non-fans who just wrote off Missouri is never they're never going to be able to recruit in the SEC have successful recruiting classes or develop players like they did in the Big 12 and I just I always kind of scoffed at that because what Missouri has been so good at especially during Gary Pinkle's tenure was finding these high three-star low four-star guys sprinkling in a top recruit every once in a while and turning them into really productive college players. And I think when you look at the stats and the players returning next season, and that's this roster is filled with those type of players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's – and they may have a point as far as just strictly recruiting rankings go. Yeah, yeah, we may never be able to consistently bring in the kind of recruiting ranking talent, uh, you know, as – Auburn or Florida or some of those programs. But they weren't but competing with Texas and Oklahoma in exactly. that regard either. Yeah, Missouri's always hung its hat on being able to develop guys, and uh, that's, I think, sometimes why maybe Missouri isn't good every year is because we depend on you know those seniors, those juniors and seniors and upperclassmen to kind of carry the team and you know sometimes if you have a weak recruiting class then it can be kind of bumpy or until turnover we can have some you, more upper class yeah. take back over uh but i think what is encouraging about barry odom so far is a lot of our difference makers right now are younger players you know we, we could name all kinds of guys that made an impact this year that are like freshmen and sophomores mm-hmm. and um i think that's maybe something that we haven't really seen in the past and uh in not only are they making a difference, but they're making a difference on a winning team. And so I think Barry Odom has identified a, a kind of high school player that he's looking for, someone you know, who's got mental toughness and is coming from a winning program. And uh, I don't know, I think just that grittiness that uh, maybe a top-ranked player might not have. They right. might have a little more diva status to them and might not want to come in and hit the ground running um, in, the, in the workouts and stuff. Because I think it's easy to... If you're a five-star player coming out of high school, you've been better than anyone you've ever played against. 
you've never really, you, I mean, this isn't the case for everyone, but a lot of times they haven't had to work really hard for what they've accomplished because it's just, they're so athletic and, and all that stuff. But, um, and it's, it's easy to come in. It would be easy to come into a program and think I'm automatically going to be starting. And, and sometimes they do. And sometimes they do. So, but a lot of times it's just weird making the transition from every coach in the country wants me to play for them to now I'm on the team and everyone on the team is as good as I am. Right. And so all these coaches are making them feel like God before they get to college. And, and now, they turn around and tell them you're going to have to fight for your starting job. Exactly. Yeah. So it, it's an interesting transition from from high school to college, but... I think that's where Missouri has the advantage is because it's recruiting players that may not come in with that mindset of mm-hmm. I'm automatically going to start. They come in with I have to work for my spot. Yeah. Um, we mentioned just a little bit earlier the defense and how they, in my opinion, I kind of was a, a little bit higher on the defense throughout the season just because I thought they were put into some weird situations. Um, of course, I ragged on the special teams all season, but the biggest weakness for the defense was – the special teams. <laughs> I mean, the, the others aren't really related, but um, the the kickoff returns and punt returns and penalties and things on those plays were putting the defense in weird positions. And if you look at how many times the defense had held the team scoreless until a weird short field gave them a really good opportunity. Um, overall, I was just really impressed with the defense. I thought that they really stepped up in a season where we were like, the offense is going to be good. The, it's good, the difference maker is going to be the defense. Yeah, it was great to see how good we were at stopping the run, and that was obviously the strength of the defense, and we probably and we kind of knew that coming in. It was but, so fun against um, Kentucky. Yeah. Those fourth downs. Benny Holy Snell cow. is one of the best running backs in the country, and he looks like a total pedestrian guy against Mizzou's run defense. And yeah, we were just amazing on fourth down, stopping for yes. the fourth down conversions this year. I mean, we I think we were – I mean, one of the best in the country, and yeah, I'm a person who, when I see the offense come out, come back out on fourth yes, down, I'm like, oh, dang I'm it! Like, well, uh, they're not going to stop them. I yes, mean, but, uh, just I with wish... any team I root for, yes, yes exactly. it's like this is not going to go the uh, way I, I want it to. They would kick the field goal. Give, I'll give them the three points. Yep. When you just... give someone four chances to go ten yards, they're probably going to be able to get yeah. it. But not against this Mizzou defense. I, I don't know what it was, but they just rose to the challenge every single time and. Uh, I, I love to see the development of, of co- the cornerbacks. Um, Demarcus AC had a huge season. Christian Holmes was way better than I ever thought. And this was really his first year playing. Yeah. He was so solid. And um, the, the linebackers had their moments. And, and Cale Garrett was just an, the absolute anchor of mm-hmm. this defense. So, yeah, there was a lot of great things about this defense. And really only the, I feel like the Purdue game was the only just horrendous performance. And South Carolina was not great either. But... Everything else I felt was fairly understandable. You're going against Georgia and Alabama. But. Yeah. Yeah. South Carolina was kind of extenuating circumstances with just the craziness of that game. Right. Um, which game was it that had the tipped? Was that, that was Purdue that had the tipped ball that yes. got caught and ran in for a well, touchdown? Yeah. It was, uh, they, they sent a guy long and, uh, Cam Hilton came over, hit the yes. guy hard, yes. and the ball just kind of squirted away. And it was like, oh, nice play. And it yep. just happened to bounce into uh, some other dude's arms. Yeah, the defense had a couple different plays like that throughout the season where it's just like, okay, they of course that's going to happen. Catch a break. Yeah, and, and Drew Locke had that too. He had a, f- a few passes bounce off 
one bounced off Jonathan Johnson's chest and popped 20 feet up in the air for an easy interception. So yeah, those kind of plays happen. But um, yeah, you mentioned Kale Garrett. I was super impressed with the linebackers this season. I honestly did not know very much about Therese Hall coming into this season, mm-hmm. and he was so good. Like yeah, it's he's honestly one of the guys we'll miss the most next year. I think it's just obviously his his play on the field was great. But I think just his leadership in the locker room and he just kind of is the energy guy that gets everybody pumped up and seems like such a good kid. So. And he led the team in sacks with five sacks. You yeah. You, that's kind of says something about the defensive ends uh, this <laughs> yes, season definitely. in their play. But um, it just also, you know, everybody talks about havoc plays and Trez Hall was flying around the field all mm-hmm. the time causing just making – making it difficult for the opposing offense yeah he was a lot of fun to watch this year and i hope he gets a shot <clears throat> at the next level i don't i really don't know um what his uh <clears throat> you know standing looks like with the nfl yeah, but I, sure. I hope that he has a shot um i'll be happy to see jordan elliott come back because yeah. he really came on at the end of the year and he'll be impressive yeah i think he's going to be a guy you see on a lot of those uh, like preseason lists uh yeah. before next year because i definitely think he started to uh, make a name for himself at the end of this year Mm-hmm. Just hope the special teams is better next year. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, just and the I, return game. The kick, kicking was fine, really. Yeah, it was a little inconsistent at times. Where weird, he made like a fifty-seven yarder yeah. and stuff like that. But. Accidentally tried an onside kick once, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I do. I was okay with McCann. I thought yeah. he had a, a good year. Yeah, honestly, that weird onside kick might have been the worst thing that he did all season. Was it what game was that? That it just seemed like. What was the game? Was it South Carolina that we're kicking a Debo Samuel like yes. every time? Like, why don't we just kick it out of bounds? Yeah. Was that, I think they that were, like, was what the game that was. High yeah, they were trying to do some cute little stuff, and yeah. I just wish they would have booted it out, it out the of the end, end zone. zone. Yep. yep. All right. Uh, producer Cameron's looking around, like, looking at the papers, like, um, how long like how long are we going to be here this tonight? It's like a five hour episode. <laughs> we just keep talking about this, uh, this season. All right. Well, any, any last thoughts on the season? Uh, I think I think overall it was fun. I yeah, asked you. F- I asked you for your thoughts, and I immediately cut you off. Uh, I thought <laughs> yeah. it was it was fun. Um, just I tried to. We talked about it in previous weeks, but I tried to just relax at the end of the season and just enjoy watching Drew Locke play. Yeah. And the same with like Terry Beckner and those type of guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think this season I could deem it a success. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what where you stand, but Absolutely. I think we could agree on that. Yeah. I always said, close out the season, win those games you're supposed to win, everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. may not be incredibly impressive, but it looks good for the future. All right. I feel good about that. I feel good about that bow that we put on the season. Indeed. So now we can focus all of our time for the foreseeable future on basketball. And we will start with a recap of Missouri's big win against Oral Roberts. The Missouri was able to win 80 to 64. And I didn't realize until I was kind of prepping for this show, I predicted 84 65. Kyle predicted 80 to 56. So we were right around there. <laughs> we were both pretty close. Yeah, you had Missouri's total right on, and I was one point away on. Or Robert, so we we had that one pretty well knocked, locked in, although it did not look like it at the beginning. Yeah, um, I will like I did last week. I will admit that I w- listened to the first half on the radio and watched some of the second half on TV. I just 
been really busy lately, but hopefully going forward, I'll be able to watch well, the full games. Well, you did not miss anything in the first half. Actually, you missed some awful basketball <laughs> and awful officiating. Um, really, Missouri was in control of this game the entire time. Like, it seemed like this one was like getting like they were losing it a couple times, but really they were so much better than this team. Despite everything that was happening, they were not going to lose. Um, they jumped out to an early lead, but then they were, had like a 10 point lead after five minutes. And then Tillman and one of the Oral Roberts bigs got double technicals called. And then even before then the refs were kind of sporadic and random with their foul calls. Um, and they, they just called a really tight game, which usually I'm in favor of, but it was incredibly inconsistent. And um, the one of the bigs for one of the Oral Roberts forwards, I can't remember how you say his last name. I wrote it down somewhere. But anyway, he was sort of getting away with everything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he was backing down a Missouri player in a way that Tillman would have been called for a charge. Yeah. And he would body up on defense in a way that would for sure be called a foul on Tillman. But, and the refs did call it on him a couple times, but they were just so inconsistent. It just made it really frustrating to watch. The fans were getting frustrated. They were booing every other possession. It was just one of those games with no flow. There was right. turnovers early, and it was just the whole first half was just like, what is going on? Yeah, I caught something about Reed Nico or Nico on Twitter um, that there was some kind of technical called on him or something like that. Yeah, he got called for hooking, which is like on a rebound, okay. like hooking the guy's arm, which is apparently now an automatic flagrant foul. I think this goes back to last year's NCAA tournament when a... Isaac Haas. Uh, yes, he got injured. Okay. And the um, Purdue player. Yes. But this particular one, I rewatched it today and it was... <laughs> To call it hooking is an exaggeration. I mean, they barely got tangled up. They were free from each other a millisecond later and were both jumping freely for the for the rebound. So yeah. Nico's think, a pretty vicious player. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was a little overzealous on the part of the refs there. Um, I mean, both teams were in the bonus with eleven minutes left in the first half, so it was just really slow. I mean, when you're talking about a Missouri team that plays a slow pace already. It was just not a fun first half to watch. Yeah. Um, I think I asked you this maybe off the podcast. Uh, hopefully, uh, correct me if I have already asked you this on the podcast, but does it seem like Tillman just gets called for ridiculous fouls all the time? Like, is it, what is it? Like, is it because he's playing aggressive and he's a really big dude? And I, is it some kind of combination of those things? So I think there's specific situations that you can kind of look at with him. Um this season uh, last season it was very strange like he there was obviously quick whistles with him for no apparent reason and it was like he and they talked about on some of the broadcasts how he kind of developed a reputation and that was bad the entire season um this season it hasn't seemed as bad um this game it was the officiating was bad all around so i don't think it was any different for Tillman. He was just in weird spots that got called fouls. Like one time, uh, Oral Roberts player was literally like backing him down and they got all the way underneath the basket. Tillman just kind of backing up, like conceding space the entire way. Tillman's head is under the backboard and then they call a foul. 
and then but there was another one um they call this foul this starting a couple years ago where the refs move their hands up and down and it has something to do with impeding the ball handler's progress and that got called on Mitchell Smith in a, a post-up play where the post offensive player was backing him down and I was just like I don't understand what's happening here. You and want to do the motion that the refs do? Yes, it's, it's a chopping motion. <laughs> <laughs> a little tomahawk? Yes, double double tomahawks. And it was just confusing a lot of the time. But it, there's one foul in particular that he's going to get called on a lot when he lowers his shoulder um, on offense. Anytime the defender flops, they're going to get that call a lot of the time. I don't know why more defenders don't flop when – he kind of gets his body into him down low because I think that's their best shot at stopping him. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll see more of that in SEC play when teams have more film, you know, more dedicated to looking at film on their conference opponents. But overall, I think it's better for him this season. He's going to get some random stuff to happen sometimes. Um, if he stay away, stays away from, you know, lowering that shoulder on offense and if he keeps his hands up high and straight up in the air on defense, I think he'll – be able to stay on the floor when he needs to be. Um, one thing that was frustrating, uh, in addition to all the fouls and everything, was Oral Roberts playing a zone defense, which I refer to as the coward's defense. Um, although all you have to do to combat it is find somebody in the high post, and that was Jonte Porter all year last year. Last year I invited teams to play a zone defense against us because Jonte would just tear them up. Per year is not able to do that. Mitchell Smith tried to and was somewhat successful because then they could take it out of that high post spot back out to the perimeter for three-point shots. So, Yeah, we've shot the three ball pretty well this year, so you would think that a zone would allow us to get some good three-point shots up. Yeah, and that's what they eventually ended up doing, just shooting it over the zone and they went in. But Mm -hmm. if those shots don't go in, that's not – I mean – just relying on shooting over the zone is not always your best bet. Right. Yeah, and we don't have, like you said, a very capable inside presence that's going to be able to break down the zone as well as Jonte could or really even half as well as Jonte could. Right. Um, KJ Santos got some play there in the first half. Um, in his 11 minutes, he turned the ball over twice and missed his only shot. <laughs> so he looked a little rusty. His shot was... Uh, rushed end of shot clock situation um but his turnovers looked pretty bad he's just going to take some time to get his feet back under him and sort of get used to to the flow of gameplay again yeah he was in a boot like a week or two ago so that's that's understandable but this was a good time to get him in and sort of see where he's at Mm -hmm. but i i think that only we can only go up from here with him after that performance so i look forward to that he looked good on defense i mean he was making his rotations okay um, he is six eight, so, and he's pretty quick, so he'll be a good defensive matchup for threes and fours in SEC play. I think. Yeah, we definitely need that, and someone who. Do you think he could be maybe somebody that could play the four and maybe rake down his own? Yeah, I think that's. I would hope so. I mean, because they desperately need it. So yeah, him flashing to the free throw line to help facilitate against zone defenses would yeah. be really, really crucial if they were gonna sort of have a breakthrough on offense against zone defenses athletically he looks smaller than 6'8 he looks like he moves really well yeah um 
there was one sequence in particular that I um, remembered, and I watched it again today where there was a, maybe you guys can help me with this because I may be wrong on the rule, but um, Oral Roberts shot a three-pointer. It bounced off the rim, and then on the rebound, got batted back by an Oral Roberts player and went over into the other side of the court. Oral Roberts player trotted on over there and picked it up, dribbled it back in to play. Is that an over and back call? That would certainly seem like it to me because I they were the last so. team to touch it. They were the only team that ever touched it. Yeah, that and should so definitely that be. was missed. Then in that possession, they kick it over to the corner for a three-point shot. The guy pump fakes. Both of his feet obviously leave the ground. He comes back down. So it's two missed You rarely there. see that. Yeah. And that got the... Uh, the crowd fired up and Oral Roberts was sticking around. I mean, they had, they made it a three point game, a two point game, even in the second half, but, uh, Missouri closed out the first half. Well, um, but Oral Roberts had these little runs where they would make it a two, three point game. Um, after a couple of Torrance Watson threes, he was really big in this game. Um, Jordan Geist had a coast to coast lay in off a rebound and then had another one of those inbound steals and layups got fouled, made the free throw. So That's a big swing. Yeah, that sparked a huge run. Jordan, um, big kahuna burger, Geist. Big kahuna burger, of course. Um, but, And then the last half of the second half, Missouri just dominated. They went on a run, a 32-9 run. Just completely broke it open. Their defense just was causing turnovers, just forcing tough shots, and... They made a ton of threes in the second half and just ran away with it. Which we knew would probably happen eventually. Yeah, I mean, it, as close as it was at points, it was like just kind of – it was a frustrating game to watch because you're like, you know Missouri so much better than this team. They should be blowing them out. Why isn't it happening? There was a bunch of frustrating reasons. Things started to come together. You know, Tillman got on the floor, sparked a run with his defense, and – at one point, Missouri hadn't been called for a foul for like five straight minutes, so that'll, that'll always help. The flow of the game was back the way it should be, and they were just making shots. That's usually a recipe for wins. Yes. Um, all the walk-ins got in in this one. Um, unfortunately, the wolf went hungry. Uh, the fans were <laughs> the fans were chanting, feed the wolf, and he didn't even get a touch. So, Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, but Missouri wins. They moved to 6-3 and three on the season. Uh, they had a really good game shooting the ball, 50% from two, 46% from three on 26 three-point attempts. That is really, really good. I'm honestly okay with them taking that many threes because they, that just seems like the best way they're going to score right now. Yeah, keep shooting those. I mean, if, if you're hitting them. Yeah, I mean, above, 46 per, above 40% as a team for the game. Just, yeah, shoot 30 of them. I don't, I mean, just keep it going. Layup or three pointer. Exactly. Yeah, that should be the only thing you're shooting. Um, the turnover percentage was impressive, just 15%. So that was good to see. Uh, 10 total turnovers again. Um, that We talked about the foul situation. Mitchell Paw Smith, Tillman, Nico combined for 11 fouls. So nice. Yeah. Nico had four fouls in nine minutes played. Yeah. Uh, no Missouri player had more than two turnovers, so I was happy to see that. And um, we're kind of burying the lead here, but Torrance Watson 
over his last two games now has 24 points on 7 of 10 from 3. So he's sort of breaking out. Yeah, good to see that. I mean, I think we expected that to happen at some point. He's such a great pure scorer. Um, but, yeah, he's shot amazingly the last couple of games, and I know it's against inferior competition, but you got to start somewhere. Yeah, Xavier Pinson had uh, pretty clearly his best game as a Tiger. Um played 25 minutes had 11 points three of five from three another I mean I don't think anybody was really talking about him being a contributor in that regard no uh, before the season but he's shooting at a decent percentage and had four assists so I like to see him uh, racking up assists because I think that's going to be his future yeah I think that he's a little farther along than I expected of him this season I think he just needs to kind of tighten up his ball handling maybe a little bit but Mm -hmm. I think that he looks farther along in the development process than I than I definitely thought. Yeah, something I'm just realizing right now. One, two, three, four, five, six Tigers in double figures. And uh, and none of them were... Well, never mind. I was going <laughs> to say none of them were Jeremiah Tillman, but I think no, I, was looking at the, I was looking at the wrong stat. Yep, he had 12, which is really good. 12 points in only 16 minutes. Yeah. Jeez. That's efficient. If he could stay on the floor. Um... KJ Santos, like I said, 11 minutes, no points, two turnovers. <laughs> but that'll that'll only improve. Two timeouts. Two, t- two TOs. All right. Anything else for the Oral Roberts matchup? I think that does it. All right. Next game for Mizzou basketball is a bit more exciting as far as the matchup goes. It's against Xavier. Xavier is actually 6-4 and four this season. Um, still number 59 in the Kimpom ratings. Um they were really good last year, but they lost uh, Trevon Blewett and Karem Cantor. Um, those were both seniors that led them to a top 15 season. And, of course, they lost their star freshman, uh, Jared Ritter, uh, who was expected to. He was a conference player of the year candidate uh, for Xavier. Just kidding. He transferred to Missouri State. But they did lose him. They did, and he's and about to make his debut true. Next, next week for actually Saturday for Missouri State. Yeah. Uh, they also lost head coach Chris Mack to Louisville. So uh, quite a bit different team from last year. New head coach, uh, loser two-star players. So far this season, they have no wins over top 100 Ken Palm teams. Their best win is over number 105, Illinois. And they have losses to number 13, number 9, Auburn, uh, number 29, Cincinnati, and then the closest, closest team to Missouri, number 96, San Diego State, on a neutral court. So... Um, Missouri being in the top 100, that's definitely a winnable game for them. Uh, Xavier has the number 30 offense in the country, so that'll be challenging for Missouri's good defense. And then they also have the number 126 defense, which is pretty average. So, But, but do they force turnovers? They do not. Okay, we're going to win. <laughs> they, are, they rank 256th on defense in wow. forcing turnovers, which is actually pretty bad. Yeah, um, I make a joke, but I mean, I really think that is actually like huge when looking at like evaluating teams that Missouri's going to play. Yeah, that's because why, that's why I keep it in here every, every time. <laughs> every game that we've looked at, it's been like teams that don't force turnovers, we win. Yep. So it, it really is that much of a difference. Yeah, they they actually uh, Xavier does not shoot the ball well from three at all. Uh, they shoot it very well, however, from two. So this is. This is setting up to be a really intriguing matchup because um, Missouri has a really good defense. 
Um, Xavier has a really good offense. They, they, they honestly shoot terribly from three. Um, now they're, so did Kansas State before they just launched a barrage of threes against Missouri. So we'll see what happens. But this is a team that really wants to pound it inside. They want to drive to the basket. Actually, their best uh, three-point shooter percentage-wise is a 6'10 guy who's kind of a stretch five. So That's interesting. Yeah, we'll see if maybe they use him to draw Tillman away from the basket or something like that. Hmm. Might just have to stick. This may be an opportunity for uh, Mitchell Paw Smith to play a lot and just stick him on that guy. And if he wants to play around the perimeter, that's fine. It won't pull Tillman away from the basket. Right. Yeah, I think that we've seen in a small sample size um probably how good of a coach chris mack is um this is just a, like you said a very different xavier team uh than they are this year uh in years past they've been so solid and it seems like we've played them several times uh against probably against our will uh, but uh, chris mack has been doing a really good job at louisville and obviously a really horrible probably situation Oh, yeah. um, and in less than one season, he's already like they're already back. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Chris Max, great coach, uh, blew it, and Cantor, both good players. And then they had another guy that his name escapes me that was also like a Big East, all Big East type player. So, mm-hmm. um, it's a different team. Um, I really, with this game being at home, I expect Mizzou to win this game. I think it's going to be really close. Uh, they may lose, but I think that. To have a successful season, if we want to get to 500 or better on this year, this is a game that we need to pull out, especially since we lost to Temple. Yeah, make up some ground. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Although I think, I don't know, I will be really happy with a win. I am not exactly expecting one. I think, I don't think either team is going to pull away unless, unless Xavier decides they want to make a bunch of threes. Uh, which would be uncharacteristic and really disappointing. But if they do that, I could see them kind of running away with it. But both of these teams play a really slow pace, so they're... Yeah, I don't see this game, either team running away with this game at all. I also think that Ken Palm's projected score is a little high. They have it as a two-point game to Missouri, 68-66. I think we're looking at low 60s. I'm thinking like... 62 to 60. Is that your official prediction? Yeah, and I'm picking Xavier, 62-60. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was actually going to make a similar prediction to what Kim Palm was. I was actually going to say 69-66 Missouri. Okay. Um, One thing about Xavier as well is watch out for the zone, a.k.a. the coward's defense. <laughs> um, I think it should be outlawed, and if you play zone... You should be strung up by your toes. Interesting. So, do you think that Mizzou will? <laughs> do you think Mizzou will come out firing threes? If do you think they learned from last game? I think um, they're starting to be comfortable shooting a lot of threes. I don't think any coach loves the idea, except for maybe Steve Kerr. I don't think any coach loves the idea of just saying, "Okay, guys, we're just going to launch a bunch of threes. Um, but they they've tend to do it in a way that is working inside out um although sometimes it's jordan geist just dribbling around and then throwing one up and it goes in but um or just it surprises me honestly that they've made so many threes when there's not inside out play and they're just kind of passing it around the perimeter but sometimes against a zone that's all you can do is fake a pass one direction get them moving and then 
uh, swing it the other Which way for an open shot. Pinson do very well a few right. times this year. Yeah, so um, it would not surprise me at all if Missouri came out shooting. Um, they've gradually moved that direction this season, more and more threes, and they've been successful doing it, so why not? Um, I think defensively they'll, they will have their hands full, but they're, it'll, it'll really depend on fouling. I mean, that's going to be a theme this year for any team that tries to pound it inside against Missouri is will Tillman be able to stay on the floor and be that defensive presence that we need him to be? That's pretty much the blueprint for beating Mizzou is get uh, Tillman in foul trouble and force turnovers. Yeah. I think I remembered the Xavier's player that I was trying to think of. Mm-hmm. J.P. Makira or something like that. White, really tall white guy that was thinking like shoot threes and stuff. I, I don't know if I'm saying that right. It does, I did not really pay attention much to Xavier last year, but I can tell you that that is definitely his name because he was a player for them last season. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, yes, and he was good at offense. He had a very high offensive rating, really high true shooting percentage. He's a 6'5 senior. Yes. Cool. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Ken Pomeroy for that. Um, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot to say about Xavier. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we'll do better analysis of uh, SEC teams that we're more familiar with. Right. But Okay, well, if Mizzou only wins one game between Xavier and Illinois, who, oh do, they, my gosh. who do they win? Who do they beat? Who do they win? <laughs> they win... <laughs> Illinois, please. Yeah. Like, if I could pick, I would pick Illinois okay, well, 10 out of 10. If you... If I was betting, I would still what, say Illinois. They, you think they have a better chance to yes. be Illinois on a neutral court? Yes. Okay. I think I disagree with you, but mm. it's not... It's close. Okay. Because I think Illinois... I know we're putting a card for the horse here, but... Because we'll talk about Illinois next week, but... Their, their guard play just kind of scares me, and they are just really scrappy and quick and can shoot. And I think they have a terrible record, but they've really played some good teams and, and challenged a good team. So I'm afraid that Illinois is going to beat us again this year, but we will see. I don't want to think about that I don't. Yet. I don't even <laughs> want to think about it. <laughs> All right. Well, um, should be a good game. The, the, the basketball games are kind of – at a, coming to us at a slow pace right now with the end of the school semester, so they're kind of spaced out. Um, but, yeah, we'll talk about Illinois next time, and hopefully we'll be talking about a big win at home against Xavier. Um, before we finish up this episode, though, Kyle, I have a surprise for you. Ooh. I have a new segment idea now that football is gone. We're not picking SEC games anymore. It is tentatively titled whatever happened to question mark (laughs) i like it i like it and what we will do is i will comb through uh missouri rosters of old and find a player that did not spend very much time at missouri or maybe they did spend some time there and then moved on to other things and i will ask you whatever happened to them oh okay and And i'm sure i'll know all of them (laughs) uh first one is the my favorite one there's one that got me excited to do this segment and it is whatever happened to Torin jones tornado jones <laughs> do you remember Torin jones i absolutely remember Torin jones 
So I'll give you a little bit of backstory. We'll go up through his career at Missouri, and I want you to see if you remember or can guess whatever happened to him. Okay. So he was a three-star recruit from Missouri under Frank Haith in the 2013 class. He is a 6'8 forward. He was super athletic, a little bit raw. He saw limited playing time in his freshman season, had some cool dunks and some blocks. But he was dismissed from the team when Kim Anderson took over. Yeah, I do remember him having some crazy blocks and stuff like that. Like you said, he's super athletic. Um, I think he would have been a pretty good player if he stayed at Mizzou. Um, so is this my turn where I come in and guess like yeah. what, what he's done? Okay, so it looks like the next line you've got here is he, <laughs> he played a season at Midland Junior College that in is Texas cheating. That is before cheating. joining the Fresno State Bulldogs. Okay. I didn't know that. I, didn't w- know. I will say that. Okay. I didn't know uh, where he went immediately after Mizzou. But I think I, what I do know is he ended up in NAIA. Correct. I do not know what school specifically, but I do know that I watched him live at Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri. Nice. It, it's a crappy little gym that holds about a thousand people. Uh, so an NAIA clash, and Torin Jones had about forty points, and I just like, I'm I'm literally like ten feet away from him because the gym's so small, and yeah. I'm like on the first row, and I'm like, this guy played for Mizzou like two years ago. Yeah. Uh, I, I literally had thirty, at least 30 to 40 points, um, but then I don't know what happened to him after that. So, yeah, uh, went to junior college after Missouri, joined Fresno State, was dismissed from Fresno State in April of his first season there. He was averaging 10 points and 8 rebounds in his sophomore season. That was uh, his last stop at the Division One level because, as you astutely pointed out, he enrolled at NAIA William Penn University. That's right. Which... William Penn might come up again later this basketball season when we talk about another player. Yep, I already know. Oh my gosh, we're not doing that one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Can't stump me. (laughs) So uh, he led William Penn to a 33-3 and record that season. He averaged 20 points and 11 rebounds. And uh, he averaged over 25 points and 15 rebounds in the NAIA tournament, national tournament. Made the all-tournament team... Uh, they would lose in the semifinal, but uh, they were really good that season. Average double double—that's pretty good. Yeah, twenty-five and fifteen in their uh, com- in their national tournament uh, over three games. Wow! So yeah, he, I do not doubt that he put up forty against. Uh, yeah, Evangel. he was absolutely dominant. <laughs> um, the last bit of news I could find on him was from February of this year, twenty eighteen. He played in Albany, New York, as part of the North American Premier Basketball League which is a now called the basketball league and it's like a minor league program sort of a minor league league for uh is it like a professional not again not, not professional but is he paid uh, uh very little okay. is the way i understand it for that particular league but then he left that team in albany to play professionally in saudi arabia how's so, he doing I was not able to find out anything about the Saudi Arabian League. They don't have internet there. (laughs) I think they do. They're very wealthy, (laughs) very wealthy nation. But uh, (laughs) I was not able to find any stats uh, from that league whatsoever. Believe me, I tried. Um, But yeah, after being dismissed from two Division One programs, he is, as far as I can tell, making a paycheck playing basketball still. That is a journey right there. That's ridiculous. Yeah. So I may have set us up for disappointment by doing this, uh, such an exciting one yeah, uh, right off like the bat. Yeah, the craziest the, one. The best one we could think of. But uh, there'll be more to come. 
Yeah, it would have been interesting to see if, if Torin Jones, you know, obviously there was some disciplinary issues along the way for him to be dismissed from two different Division One programs. But Yeah, to end up in NAIA with right. how talented you are. Yeah. That was the interesting thing about NAIA uh, was sometimes we I, – I went to Evangel, uh, which is a, a – NAIA level school and um, we would see sometimes kind of like I shouldn't say washed up but some <laughs> some division one players who yeah, have former. fallen down in the ranks yes. through disciplinary issues uh, we would see some of those guys roll through and uh, man it was it was crazy to see some some of the dunks and stuff that they could ba- basically do on all these little white kids from like Fairgrove and stuff <laughs> like that so yeah well um Anything else? Am I allowed to look at these pages now? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. It's just it's just everything I just said. You told me I wasn't allowed to look at the show notes because I would it'd spoil the surprise. Yeah, I should have put that line about Midland Junior College on the next page. Oh yeah. So you can see it. I wouldn't have gotten that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's it. That is it for me, producer Cameron. Oh, I don't have anything. Okay. I'm sorry we, you're not included as much now that we don't get to talk about Nebraska. Wasn't much to talk about, really. <laughs> we, we shoehorned it in anyway. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I've got for this week. Um, we will be right back next week. We'll recap the Xavier game, preview Illinois. And uh, why don't you let them know where they can find us? And I put the correct, I think I put the correct Twitter handle in oh, there for you. Oh, you nailed it. <laughs> all right. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, and Spotify. You can tweet us at Mizzou Sports Pod. You can email us at Missouri Sports Pod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at C underscore Albert08. Thank you everyone for listening. We will see you next week. Ooh.